Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. My guest, Larry Hamm, is a veteran community activist in New Jersey, chair of the People's Organization for Progress, and a candidate for the Democratic Senate nomination in New Jersey, where he is challenging Senator Cory Booker. Larry Hamm spoke recently at a protest against police brutality in Newark. The whole history of black people in this country shows that if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Every time that we faced a major challenge, we had to come together in protest. A slave rebellion was a protest. You know how many hundreds of years there were slave rebellions? The Civil War was a protest. Harriet Tubman rescuing black people and bringing them north was a protest. There was an abolitionist movement. It was a protest. Larry Ham joins me now. Larry, welcome to Pushback. You've been at this for a very long time. What is your sense of how these protests are going and what they have accomplished so far? Well, I think these uh, protests are great. It's what is needed. And uh, what really pleases me about the protests is that they have spread worldwide. Um, in the United States, there have been protests in over 350 cities in all 50 states. In my state of New Jersey, there have been protests in 140 cities and towns uh, throughout the state of New Jersey. And now we see, we've seen demonstrations all around the world, in South Africa, in France, in England, in Germany, uh, in uh, other countries, in Europe. In Australia, there have been protests demanding justice for George Floyd. So I think it's wonderful. Uh, I've seen upsurges before. I've, I've been around long enough to have seen upsurges many times, uh, people pouring out into the streets. Uh, I think the the last time I saw it like this was probably around the second war in Iraq. But what surprises me about these protests is how fast they have spread. Remember, Floyd hasn't been dead for a month. In fact, I think it's only been about three weeks uh, since he was murdered by the police. But we've had all of these protests throughout the United States. And the other thing that pleases me is that the overwhelming character has been young people. Young people are the majority in all of these protests uh, throughout the state of New Jersey and, and I think throughout the country. And lastly, the thing that also pleases me about the, these protests is the decentralized nature. People are essentially looking around in their homes, getting old cardboard boxes, flattening them out, making a sign and going out into the street. It's really not a situation. I'm sure some of the protests have been organized by organizations, but it seems to me based on what I've seen in my state that most of these protests have been organized by grassroots people, students, many of them young people in their own towns and cities. And I think it's wonderful. And what do you think accounts for the fact that these protests have been able to be so large and so widespread despite being so decentralized and not having many visible leaders? 
Well, it's largely leaderless because it's spontaneous. And it's a spontaneous response to the horrific, brutal, and monstrous lynching of George Floyd by Officer Chauvin. What we have now that we didn't have, say, just 20 years ago, is the spread of um, telecommunications technology, mainly the cell phone, which was able to capture the lynching of Floyd in real time. And first of all, I think the young woman that broadcast it did it live on Facebook. I even read where they estimated that maybe 19,000 people actually saw it while it was occurring. And then it spread instantly, the recording spread instantly around the world. And I think that has a lot to do with the spontaneous upsurge. I mean, I am glad to see uh, a movement uh, this decentralized, but remember, we're only at the beginning of this, of this particular movement. This is not the first mass upsurge around an incident of police brutality. I think we saw something similar around um, the murder of Amadou Diallo. Uh, we saw something similar around the murder of Trayvon Martin. But I think that this is even broader than uh, those two movements. And we're only at the beginning. We're only a month in. And we know for a fact that the trial for Chauvin is not going to take place soon. You know, I would bet if I was, you know, a betting man, I would bet that it probably won't happen until the fall, maybe even the late fall. And then the trial itself could last as long as six months. So what we need is a movement around this particular issue, around this particular uh, uh, lynching murder that can last for the duration until, in fact, Chauvin is put into jail. I know a lot of people were glad to see that he was charged and uh, some people were celebrating that the rest had been charged. But remember, 99% of police brutality cases, most of them don't even go to trial. And those that go to trial, the overwhelming majority do not end in a conviction. So there's really not much to celebrate uh, at the moment, and people should hold back any type of celebration until those who are guilty of George Floyd's murder are in jail. So we're just at the beginning now, and um, I think we have to, you know, assess the situation as we move along. And as for the impact already on the conversation around police funding, broad calls for defunding the police. You had the vote in Minneapolis where they passed a measure for the dismantling of their police force and replacing it with a community uh, type of policing. You have in Philadelphia a new budget where there's uh, a call to reduce police funding and spend more on social services. What do you think the key demands of this movement should be right now? Well, first of all, I think that we should have an approach uh, to all of the reforms that people are calling for, we, we should have a positive stance toward them. Uh, the policing, the, the institution of policing in this country 
is so riddled with problems that my position is we should support every reform that people are fighting for, whether it be defunding the police or whether it be body cams, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, while we support those things and support the efforts to get them, I think we must do so with an understanding that those reforms in and of, of themselves are not going to end police brutality. I support defunding, but I know it's not going to end police brutality. I support body cams, but I know that's not going to end. I support police review boards for every town, for every city, town, and village in the country. There should be a police review board or some form of oversight. But New York City has had a police review board since the mid-60s, and some of the worst cases of police brutality have happened since then. My belief is that the anti-police brutality movement must have a laser-like focus on dismantling the laws that give the police protection from prosecution because they're going to continue to do these horrendous things until they understand that when they do them, that there will be a significant price to pay. They will lose their job, their badge, their gun, their license, their seniority, their pension, and their freedom if they murder unjustly, brutalize unjustly, violate our constitutional rights, and police us in a racially discriminatory way. So we have to be very, very um, uh, focused, but at the same time, embracing. We have to understand that this movement against police brutality is very decentralized. It's very uneven. People don't necessarily see it the same way. So we, we must move in a way to build unity, but at the same time, move in a way to bring direction. When we are in police brutality marches and we chant, uh, we want justice for George Floyd, what is justice for George Floyd? Is it defunding the police? Is it body cams? Is it police review boards? Justice for George Floyd is that the officers that murdered and lynched him must go to jail and must be prosecuted and receive a sentence commensurate with the crime that they committed. That's what justice is. And these cops kill with impunity because they know that they have a bevy of laws, federal laws, state laws, local laws, municipal laws, um, um, departmental policies, provisions in their contract that all operate in tandem to give them a protection that from prosecution that the average citizen like you and I do not have. So we must dismantle all of those laws that in fact result in two systems of justice, one for the police and one for the rest of us. When they murder in a blue uniform, they must receive the same sentence as a person who has committed murder with no uniform. As a veteran organizer, 
I'm wondering what some of your guiding principles are in terms of how to be most effective and, and your thoughts on tactics that you think are most efficient in being able to reach a, a broad public in being supportive of a movement's demands. Well, <clears throat> I'm generally in supportive of most tactics. I'm, I'm glad to see people do anything, you know. <laughs> And it's funny because, you know, in New Jersey, we have like about 500 and some odd different municipalities in this little state. And I have seen Justice for George Floyd protests in, in towns that I, just two weeks ago, I couldn't have imagined would be having a march of thousands, you know, in these, some of these little, in, in the town I live in now, Montclair, New Jersey, I'm from Newark, but for the last uh, few years or so, uh, I've lived in Montclair, New Jersey. Montclair has had at least three marches already, and all of them have had over a thousand people in them. All three of them had over a thousand people, and and they were perhaps drawing on different constituencies. So I'm glad to see this. I think the challenge that faces us, and, and I know you you probably want me to speak to the peaceful versus nonviolent, but let me, let me move around that for a second and identify the thing that I think is most important. The challenge that faces us is to, in fact, develop strategies and tactics that will sustain our movement over the long haul. These struggles to get convictions of police. The, one of the biggest struggles we had here in New Jersey was uh, the struggle to uh, get the police prosecuted for the murder of Earl Faison. And in fact, it's, it's, it's been two decades since Faison was killed. It took us almost two years to get the cops into court, to get them charged, and to get them tried, and to get them convicted. Then the judge in the case overturned the guilty verdict, and it took us another two years to work through the appeals process and to get them back into court, to get them convicted and get them in jail. So that's almost four years it took us to, to get justice for Earl Faison. And I think the important thing that we must convey to people from the outset, from the beginning, from the first march, is that this is gonna be a long struggle. And so we must put together strategies and tactics that can take us over the long struggle. For instance, <clears throat> if you're a small organization, you don't have a lot of people power and resources, you know, you will probably wear yourself out trying to do a vigil every day. And probably by the end of the month, all your people be worn out and it might be one person standing there for the vigil. So if you're a small organization with not a lot of people power and resources, maybe one demonstration a month, one good demonstration a month is, is what you can sustain. And just think about it. If the struggle to get justice for Floyd takes more than a year, that means you'll have 12 demonstrations. That's a lot of demonstrations, you know? If your organization is stronger, and you can sustain a weekly protest and do that. And if you're an organization that's at the top of your game and you have the people power and resources to carry out a vigil on a daily basis, then do that. What I'm saying is 
Do what you can do consistently. It is better to be able to do something consistently over the 12 or 18 months that it may take us to get uh, before Chauvin is put in jail and the other officers are put in jail than to do 30 days and wear yourself out and then you know, leave the, the remaining 11 months or 17 months without any kind of action. And then we must be creative with our tactics and understand that you know, people get weary doing the same thing over and over. You might have to change it up. You know, you might have to do different kinds of protests and, and different kinds of actions. So you have to come up with a, a plan of activities that can take you over the long haul and keep your pressure on, you know, uh, uh, for as long as it takes. And then tactically, we must connect the struggle of these national cases, these cases that get a lot of press nationally and internationally, we must connect those to the cases in our own community. We got a George Floyd in almost every black community. We got an Eric Garner in every black community. You know, we have a Amadou Diallo in, Eric, in every black community and in many communities across the state. So while we talk about demanding justice for George Floyd, we should also demand justice for the local victims of police brutality. Let me ask you about your Democratic primary opponent, Cory Booker, the senator you are trying to unseat. Why are you running against him? And what do you make of his record when it comes to challenging police brutality? He's now portraying himself as being very much on board with this movement. Well, he's on board with it now because that's the way the wind is blowing. But when he was the mayor of Newark, New Jersey, there were horrific police brutality cases, and he said not a word about it, not a word. In fact, he hired, he brought in one, one of the, 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 the police directors he, from Giuliani, he brought Gary McCarthy to Newark. And during the time that McCarthy was a police director, we had some of the most horrific cases of police brutality. Booker brought him in because obviously he must have liked what, what McCarthy was doing in New York. So he brought him into Jersey and it didn't work out. And then, and then where did McCarthy go? He went to Chicago and then what happened? Laquan McDonald was killed while McCarthy was a director. A lot of politicians are now talking about police brutality because they see that the people are in an uproar. That the people, not just a group of activists, not just a group of activists that can even mobilize one big demonstration, but regular church-going people, you know, regular working people are outraged and are marching all over the country. So now everybody wants to be anti-police brutality. And that's, to a degree, that's okay because we want them to pass legislation that's gonna do something. But we have to be very clear on what exactly is happening. You know, um, uh, uh, Senator Booker has been in, has been senator for a number of years now. Why is it that he's only now authoring a bill on police brutality? Because that's the way the wind is blowing. We need leadership that will be steadfast. We, 
we don't need uh, thermometers that take the temperature. You know, we need thermostats that set the temperature. That's the kind of leadership we, we need. So while I'm glad that uh, on one hand, Senator Booker has offered up some legislation, on the other hand, we understand this. It's not going to pass. He's offering up these really good sounding bills now. They won't pass. Why? Because it takes both houses of Congress to make a law. And the, the fascist Republicans dominate the Senate now. They're not going to pass any significant anti-police brutality legislation. And then the legislation that is being offered, while it sounds good, it does not go to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter of police brutality is this. The police believe that they are immune from prosecution. In fact, they are protected by something called qualified immunity. And that's significant because just yesterday, the United States Supreme Court refused to hear eight cases dealing with the issue of qualified immunity for the police. That's the heart of the matter. We need elected officials, Congress people, House of members of the House of Representatives and Senate who will pass legislation on doing away with this qualified immunity, who will pass legislation to make a national standard, uh, a standard on the use of excessive force law, you know, who who offer up legislation to make it possible with, with, with all due speed, make it possible for cities and towns to set up police review boards with subpoena power, with investigatory power, and with the power to in fact impose sanctions and punishment on police officers that murder unjustly and brutalize unjustly. That's what we need right now. Larry Hamm, chair of the People's Organization for Progress and candidate for the Democratic Senate nomination in New Jersey. Thanks very much. Thank you.